be shifting gears um, away from kind of that broad domestic focus into the offering of letters campaign for Bread for the World. And I know some of you come either from a campus setting or from a church setting and are very interested in knowing about this year's campaign and figuring out um, how it can connect with your church or your campus. Um, one of the resources that's new for Bread for the World this year that we put on the DVD that's in the Offering of Letters kit that uh, Stephen will talk about a little bit later uh, is a uh, PowerPoint. And so Stephen and I are using as our basic PowerPoint today what is on your DVD and that you could use to introduce both Bread for the World, which will be the first part of this conversation, and then introduce the Offering of Letters campaign. So if you're in a church that really knows the uh, Bread for the World, then you don't need to introduce the organization and the movement, but you really want to laser in on the, uh, on the Offering of Letters campaign for this year. That'll be the part that mostly Stephen um, uh, facilitates. The first part that I'm going to walk through is just to show you how you describe Bread for the World, well, how our DVD talks about it. So if your church is new to Bread or if you're introducing it to a new group, you might do it uh, this way. So we have a one-sentence description of Bread for the World that's kind of the, the basic way we talk about ourselves. We say we're a collective Christian voice urging our nation's decision makers to end hunger at home and abroad. And there are a couple of things that I normally underscore when I talk about Bread for the World. One is that we're a bipartisan organization, and we, we've already talked about that today, of how it's important, certainly in a lot of people's minds in your church, to talk about Bread for the World and let people know that we are not a partisan organization, that we do try to build bridges to Republicans and Democrats alike. Uh, also that our advocacy is focused at the national level, so if folks want to work to fight hunger in Harrisburg or to fight hunger here at home in the Philly area. They need to look elsewhere. I mean, we work with a lot of those groups at Bread for the World. We're partners with the Pennsylvania Council of Churches and lots of other groups, but we focus our advocacy at the national level. And third, the other thing is that pe folks get confused about whether we do uh, direct service or not. And of course, as you know, we're an advocacy-only organization working, again, in partnership with many, many groups, both domestically and internationally, like Phil Abundance and the Food Trust and a lot of great Catholic Relief Services, Lutheran World Relief internationally. And finally, that the offering of letters, which is the, the, the campaign that we focus our attention in churches and campuses about each year, is not the only um, activity that Bread for the World members do. I mean, they, we make phone calls, we visit our members of Congress, we write letters to the editor, there are a lot of things. The, the, the offering of letters is kind of a church and campus specific tool each year, and we kind of choose that issue with an eye toward how it can be uh, usable in the life of, of the local uh, setting. Now, one of the things I'd like to do if I'm introducing Bread for the World is to point out that uh, the scriptural warrant for concern about hunger is very, very deep indeed. And that you know it's clear from the from the Bible, both the, the Hebrew scriptures and the uh, and the New Testament, that God cares deeply about hungry people, and that the prophetic witness in the Old Testament, particularly around the need for leaders, not just individuals, not just local communities, but uh, both religious and secular leaders of of nations needed to care need to care uh, about hunger and poverty. And, and Matthew 25 in the New Testament reminds us that the nations were gathered together and were judged based on whether or not they did deal with these issues for the most vulnerable. Now, it was already mentioned this morning about the importance of charity. As important as it is, um, it is not enough, and the government has to do its part. Now, one example we use of that is this graphic, which I think was already mentioned this morning, I think Eric Mitchell or someone mentioned this, that if you put all the food that's given to hungry people here in the United States, part of it from charitable effort, part of it by governmental effort in 24 extremely large grocery bags, uh, it's shocking to people to find out that only one of those 24 bags 
is a representative of the charitable sector. I have been in the presence of, of people who are doing the hands-on work, and they're shocked by this and stunned. And I say this about this one in 24, not to demean the work that's done charitably. We need to do more of that. But also that minimal cuts in programs at the national level will essentially wipe out the equivalent of all the charitable efforts that we do so, so painstakingly at the local level. So Congress cutting in the name of budget cuts uh, the programs that are important can do devastating work uh, to, to harm hungry people. Um, so the offering of letters is, again, one of those tools that we use uh, along with uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, emails uh, nowadays, all sorts of ways that we talk. And the, the, the letter writing efforts, the offering of letters, uh, is one tool among many. And what I like about the offering of letters is that it, it allows us together to join our voices. It's not something you do in the privacy of your own home. It's something you do in a, in a church or campus setting so that you gain heart from any other people joining together. Uh, we've already mentioned that handwritten letters are the ideal. They're the ones that members of Congress and their staff uh, read most readily and take seriously because it represents an investment of time in you uh, that you have placed in that issue. And you, if you tell your story well and it's a handwritten letter, uh, those have the best impact. Now, an offering of letters is not something that has one model and that's it. Um, whatever can work in your local setting for having a letter writing effort that brings people together is what will be good. I, as your organizer, say, look, I know of churches that do it right during a worship service. Pastor gives over a portion of the sermon time. Or it happens during the fellowship hour when people gather for coffee and goodies. They sit down and write a letter using one of our Bread for the World sample letters. Or a youth group retreat. Maybe they're on a world vision uh, you know, fast for a world harvest, and they, they write letters as part of that. Or a women's group or an adult education class. On campus, it could be during uh, Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Week. Uh, or you know, during, you know, at, at uh, Villanova, just this past week was Advocacy Week. That's a classic time when advocacy can work. So there's no one model that we uh, prescribe. Now, the, the, the reality is, and I know this because I worked in Congress, that members of Congress really want to hear from constituents. There was a time when there was a, a scare with anthrax, and for uh, many, many weeks, members of Congress were not getting any mail because they hadn't figured out how to irradiate the letters and, and make them uh, safe for the offices to receive. And members of Congress, I remember the Washington Post was saying, members of Congress were desperate to hear from their constituents. They really missed those letters. Those phone calls and things were coming in, but not the letters. So it does matter uh, that members of Congress want to hear from you. And we have a responsibility in our mode of government to take advantage of the constitutionally protected uh, authority that we have to speak out to our leaders. Now, those personalized letters matter um, more than other means of, of, of communicating. It's not like uh, the, the pre-formed letters and things like that, or if you write and, and you're not a constituent. It's not like those are worthless, but they're really discounted significantly compared with the more personalized letters and now personalized emails that you can send to Congress. Now, um, there are a lot of folks who say, but another thing about writing to Congress or communicating with Congress is, are they really listening these days? I mean, people are very discouraged. Even longtime activists uh, at Brad are saying, well, you know, should I keep doing this? They never respond positively, they never vote the right way. And I say, well, keep in mind that if we are silent, the stones may cry out, but certainly members of Congress will listen to those voices that they are hearing. And that's probably going to be from well-heeled, well-moneyed interests. If we want to continue to speak out for the most vulnerable and make a difference, we have to continue speaking out, even if we're not at all sure that somebody's listening at the other end. We have to be hopeful 
and faithful in continuing to speak out. Now, each year, if you go back and look at the back of the Offering of Letters Kit for Bread for the World, we talk back six or seven years, and we could go back 40 years and say, we have made steps forward. We've had victories for Bread for the World over that period of time. Uh, we don't always get all we want, and we never work alone. We always work with a lot of coalition partners. But we have gotten victories for hungry people over the years. And uh, the thing I want to point out, too, for you who, you know, maybe foreign aid reform is okay, but you'd rather be talking on immigration or mass incarceration. Well, guess what? Bread for the World works on those issues, too. Check out our website, bread.org. Find the other issues beyond the Offering of Letters campaign that Bread for the World is working on. And we already talked about the gathering and the lobby day on June 9th and 10th, so I don't have to tell you uh, about that. You notice there's somebody on the left here who's in the room today. I mean, well done. He was one of the advocates uh, at our lobby day a couple of years ago. <laughs> All right, now, now we're going to uh, segue into the uh, more nuts and bolts about this campaign this year. Um, and so it's about reforming U.S. food aid. And before Stephen starts to talk about that, uh, I'm going to talk to you biblically. Because I think as we think generally biblically about Bread for the World, there's strong scriptural warrant. But with respect to feeding people who are vulnerable, who are rooted from their land, um, and who are particularly vulnerable to food uh, insecurity, uh, scripture tells us that, you know, when the folks were wandering in the wilderness after leaving Egypt and before getting to the promised land, they had to rely on God for the basic provisions have food each and every day. And God wonderfully provided that. And when Jesus was uh, on a hillside and people were far from the market economy, uh, you know, the disciples wanted to send them back to the food stores. And Jesus said, I think we have some resources here to help these very hungry people uh, who are out in the wilderness. And he, he uh, enabled them to use loaves and fishes. And also, I think gleaning is an interesting example. When people are sojourning, they're not in their lands, they're not in their homes, but they're moving through. The requirement in scripture to leave the gleanings of the field, to leave some extra for those people who are particularly vulnerable, is strong scriptural warrant, I think, for the kind of situation today with natural disasters, with war, with famine, all around the world in different places, cropping up time after time. The kind of food aid that our nation has given for many, many years, generously and effectively, uh, can, has made a difference but it can be even better. We can save millions more people over the years ahead if we reform and improve our food aid programs. And Stephen's going to talk about how to do that. So yeah, I'm going to talk about uh, the, the programs and, and more of the, uh, the mechanics of them, what, what the issues we're looking at with, with reforming food aid. Um, I'm curious how many of you have traveled to a developing country before? perhaps on a mission trip, quite a number of you. Um, with this, this issue of, of food aid, um, we're looking at uh, international work, international hunger on, on that side of it. And as you may know, Bread for the World switches every year to uh, back and forth between a domestic issue and an international issue. So for 2014, we're looking at um, international um, hunger, on, on uh, hunger abroad. And I have to admit um, that this is kind of an obscure topic. Even, even I found it kind of difficult to wrap my head around um, because it's not as visible. And certainly if, if you don't travel a lot and, and on our, in our daily lives, it's very easy to see hunger um, and poverty um, in our own lives regularly if you 
work um, with hunger at church, perhaps a, a food pantry, or if you see a homeless person, uh, we see it and it's visible, but, but this is kind of a more distant and harder to relate to um, program uh, aspect of hunger that we're looking at this year. But uh, Bread for the World chose this because we believe we can make a difference when we uh, gather the input and the uh, participation through the offering of letters uh, from people around the country. We, we can make a difference in this area. So um, bear with me. Um, I'm going to explain some of the, the current aspects of this program. Um, but if you don't get it right away, um, I'll tell you where you can find more information. It took me a while to get my head around it to understand what it was because it is quite, we're talking about quite a lot of money here and quite a, um, a program that's kind of buried deeply that we don't, that's not often in the news um, since we don't hear a lot about it um, in, in many ways in the news. So just to start off generally, uh, talking about what, what exactly food aid is, um, it's part of our, the way our government uh, responds um, to part of the foreign aid programs, um, funded by taxpayer dollars. And this is something I'd like to emphasize, that we have foreign aid that our government uh, sends overseas. And this is our own money. This is money that the government is using that comes from our pockets. It's taxpayer money. So they are doing it with our money and on our behalf. So this is our, our government's generosity from uh, our government but on our behalf of, of the people who, who pay the taxes. And so th this comes from, from our pockets. It, it starts from that. So we have a, a right to participate in this. We have a, an obligation to um, just talk about it and with our, our leaders and how, how it's being used. Food aid specifically, as part of the larger foreign aid, is uh, used a couple different ways and, and two broad categories of it. Basically, um, for the emergency needs, for urgent humanitarian needs, and for longer term development. Now, the urgent humanitarian needs are probably what you think of um, when you think of assistance going overseas. It's, it's the uh, what you hear in the news, like uh, the Philippines, that's uh, probably one of the most recent um, recent natural disasters that we, we saw, the typhoon that happened at the end of last year um, in, in the fall. When disasters or emergencies like that strike, uh, our government sends uh, food overseas to keep people alive and to uh, provide that immediate assistance that, that saves lives. So that's sort of the what appears on the news a lot, what we hear about, that it's uh, easy to, to understand. But I, I really want to make sure that people understand that, that Longer-term development is, a, is another very important part of that. And that, that goes on all the time, very quietly in the background. But that's doing amazing things. And that's what a lot of uh, church-related organizations, uh, such as Church World Service and Catholic Relief Services, Lutheran World Relief, that's what those organizations are working in, this long-term development. And food aid, even though it, it may sound like an immediate, immediate way of assisting people, does go toward uh, longer term development. And I won't necessarily get into all the mechanics of that, but that's part of, of what that, that does. But that can take many forms from uh, supporting education, um, training women in, in skills so they can get uh, earn an income, um, giving uh, other people sets of skills. It, long term development just takes many different forms. But again, I, I don't want people to lose sight of that, that that's a very important way of, of bringing people out of the cycle of poverty. So uh, as, as one example of that, um, 
we wanted to illustrate food aid and how it happens on the ground. And so we're going to show you uh, one of the videos that was made as part of the uh, offering of letters. This is available to you in the kit. Um, so we're going to talk about, um, we're going to show a video of Guatemala um, that's about four minutes. Food for the future. Yeah. I was born in the heart of Guatemala. We live in extreme poverty. I often lie awake at night wondering, how will I feed my children? I am Caterina Pascual Imenes. My first husband died and my second husband abandoned us. But I have my four children. My oldest son Antonio is 17. He left to find work. The other three are still with me. Juana, who is six, cannot go to school. I can't afford to send her. The other two are my little twins, Shaylee and Alexander. They are 17 months old. I wash clothes to make money. With this money, sometimes I'm able to buy vegetables or beans, something so the children can eat. A neighbor is letting me live in her home for a time, but I worry if I must leave. Where will I go with my children? Who will take us in? When I was seven months pregnant with my twins, my second husband sent me to the city where the hospital is to give birth. Later I learned he used this time to marry another woman. Then at the hospital, people arrived telling me they had made an agreement with my husband to buy my newborn twins. I told them, I have no agreement with you. My husband came and told me he would give me half the money. I bitterly refused. I love them. I will not sell my children. They left, but I began to worry. How will I provide for my children? I had nothing. I constantly worried for my children's health. However, I had some faith that everything would work out. The last two months have been better because of a nutrition program I've become part of. I was told by one of my neighbors of a nutrition program which gave health advice and provided food rations. I went to register. The program director said the children were malnourished and accepted us into the program. I was told the program was from the people of the United States. Now my children are looking healthier. I am very grateful. That's uh, one of the examples that we produced to help illustrate uh, what Food Aid is doing on the ground. And as you saw, uh, you saw the woman with um, some cans and some uh, food that had the American flag on them. So we know that that came through USAID. But there was a program that was, that, that was part of. So it's not just giving people food and then walking away. It, it, it's part of a program that helps her understand uh, nutrition and, and 
she's got the young children um, who are, that's the reason she's in the program. Um, so, so that's part of a, a more holistic um, long-term development part of um, Food Aid that, that she's part of. So that, that video is available to you in the, the kit and on the website uh, with the materials that we've produced. So in order to understand what we want changed, we need to understand what, how the program currently exists. And this is where it gets a little complicated, so I'll try to uh, explain it in a way, and we'll have a time for questions at the end of this um, if you still um, have, have some questions about um, what we're looking for. But basically, um, there are some rules and regulations and that are set out by the law of uh, food aid, the, the various laws that, that govern food aid and the various ways that uh, the regulations determine how the money that goes towards food aid is spent. The, the rules and regulations say that, that most that the food aid that is provided overseas, that, that does get shipped overseas, has to be grown in the United States. And at least 50% of that has to be transported on American ships. Now, the, the, that may not sound bad, but what, what the problems that arise is that that makes it costly and slow to arrive in, in the country where it's needed. And so if you think about the situation in the Philippines, if we had to ship food, if a, a hurricane is, is striking a country like that, very far from the United States, just imagine the logistics of gathering all that food and shipping it probably from the Midwest to the coast by train, putting it on a ship. Sometimes that can take weeks, if not months. And it's a very inefficient system right now um, for, for doing that. And, and having to ship all that across land and across the sea that takes months sometimes, that the cost is, is very high. And sometimes as many as 60 cents per dollar is spent on transportation alone. So there is a better way. So that's basically the lay of the land as it stands now. So what we're, we're talking about are smart changes to the food aid system. We're not talking about scrapping the whole system and revamping the entire thing, but just some adjustments to make it better and make it more efficient and more effective. Now, the largest food aid program of our US government is administered by the, United, the US Agency for International Development, or USAID. It's called Food for Peace. Now, that was set up in 1954. It was a different world back then. It was the Cold War. Um, you know, we were, you know, there wasn't the internet, there wasn't TV coverage like we know it. We're living in a very different world decades later where news is instantaneous. We know what's going on in faraway places. We're not fighting the Cold War anymore. And so it's, it's time to, to change our the way of, of, of operating our, our system because it's, it's a smaller world. It's, our world has shrunk. And so we just need to modernize and update this. And so part of what we're looking at is a more flexible system for our government, basically to give our government more flexibility in, in choosing to do different things if they want to. But, but currently, the system is set up so that they, they're restricted in doing that. They don't have as much flexibility in doing that. So one of the, the key things that we're looking at is giving the government more flexibility in purchasing food closer to where it's needed. So if we were able to, and in fact, this is what actually happened in the Philippines, um, some of the food was prepositioned. We had stores of food um, in Sri Lanka, I believe, and it was closer to the Philippines than the United States is. And so we were able to get food to the disaster uh, survivors much more quickly than if it had been shipped from the United States. 
But it, what we could also do is encourage local or in-country or, or nearby uh, disasters where, where that happens to, to grow, their, grow more food and make it available for that disaster. So basically making it a, a more available local and regional purchases of food. That will not only make food closer to, to the people who need it, put it, put it closer in, in times of disaster, but it'll empower and, and raise up economically the farmers who grow that food, which will increase their incomes um, and help them economically, which is one of the, the purposes of development anyway. So it, it sort of has a double purpose. So we're basically looking at, at relaxing the rules, giving the government more flexibility for these local and regional purchases when it makes more sense to do that. But currently, they're restricted in doing that. Nutrition is another key reform that we're looking at. Currently, we don't really have a problem. Our, our government doesn't have a problem getting the amount of calories to people in keeping them alive and, and the food aid that, that's in the form of, of immediate assistance. That's not a problem. But nutrition is, a, is an issue these days. If, if you think about the delays, if, if, if the delay is still a factor in, in getting people food, people are going hungry and they're not getting the nutrition they need. And, and so that's, that's part of the problem, that, that not only just getting food, but getting the right nutrition in, in a disaster for, for perhaps several months. But technology has evolved in, in all these decades since the program was founded. And again, the government, if it had more flexibility in in its program to provide some more of that nutritious food, um, they, it would be a more effective program. So we're looking at improving the nutrition, especially in this thousand day window of uh, early childhood from the time, actually at the time of a woman is during a pregnancy to a child's second birthday. And bread has a lot of uh, materials and we're, we talk about that um, a lot um, in, in some other different campaigns and materials we produce about the thousand day window, how it lays the foundation for a better life for children as they, they grow older. But we really um, emphasize um, helping children, those young children especially. It, it lays the foundation, somebody, we, we talked about that earlier, it was mentioned earlier about um, it improves their education and their income earning potential on their brain development. So we really want our government to be able to reach those women and children, young children, with these changes. And finally, we want to make sure that the funding remains steady, at least, um, or increases. We don't want the government to be cutting back on these programs because it's um, important to maintain uh, the amount of food aid that we are supplying. And so keeping that circle of protection around the funding that we do have or even increasing it. Now, currently, the USAID uh, funding is in the order of uh, $2 billion per year. That's B with a billion, $2 billion a year. So we're looking to maintain those levels. And actually, in the past three years, the, the funding for food aid has gone up a little, while the overall foreign aid budget has gone down a little. So it's actually doing pretty well. So we want to make sure that that continues to, to main, maintain its, um, the, the amount of funding that we So in, this summarizes basically what we're, we're asking Congress to do to uh, protect and reform US food aid to increase the efficiency and the nutritional quality and maintain funding, basically those three points in, in the letter. And this is what we're asking people to do now. 
very soon. It could be, we were expecting it to happen this past week, but it, it could be this coming week. Um, we have a bill that's going to be introduced, the Corker-Kuhn's bill in the Senate on food aid. And Bread for the World is monitoring what's happening. Um, we want people to quickly uh, respond and, and get in touch with their senator for for action on this. And so if you're part of the Action Alert Network, if, if Bread for the World has your email, and send it out for action. Um, pay attention because in the next several days, we are when this bill is introduced in the Senate, we are going to um, get the word out very quickly and tell people this is a part of this campaign um, and it may require some, some quick action. But here's, here's something specific coming up um, that we will be able to put our campaign on, uh, put your action that you're uh, doing as part of this campaign on that bill. So just some tips as you, as you write the, the letter. Um, and a lot of you, I, I, I sat with some of you at lunch and I know you're involved in your local, um, in your local parish or your congregation with that. Um, I encourage you to take the sample letter but, but personalize it and to talk about why something is important to you and say, I'm a churchgoer, I, I belong to this parish, I see hunger every day in my community, but I also care about hunger overseas. Um, connect it to, to your own story and, and talk about why it's important to you and personalize it. Um, I just wanted to um, emphasize that one, but make sure you're specific in, in what you ask for. If we have this bill coming up, um, that's a very good thing to identify that by name and by number. Um, to be specific um, in talking about that. And include your, your name, identify yourself so they know you're a constituent. I just want to spend a, a few minutes, and I know many of you are already involved in uh, offering of letters. Um, you've done them before in your setting, but I just want to take a few minutes to go through the kit and uh, explain some of the resources. Basically, this kit is designed for you who are leaders, the ones who are going to coordinate an offering of letters um, event in your, your setting. And it's set up to be a set of tools, basically a toolbox that you can use in different ways. And I'm the one who's responsible for producing this. Um, I don't do it all alone. I have people who help write it and who contribute to that, and my colleague um, produces the videos, but I I'm, make sure it gets all together. But if you have comments on, on this, I would welcome them. If, if you've worked with the offering of letters for years um, and you know it well, um, but you want something done differently or you wish there were another resource or you, you don't like the bulletin inserts or you, you do like this, please tell me and um, I can leave you my card or to come up, we can talk afterwards, but I do encourage your feedback on this um, about how this is used. But basically, this is designed with the concept in mind that it, it has various ways of, of approaching the topic. Um, it's got different types of resources and you, you see the PowerPoint that you can use in your, um, in a setting. You saw the video that you can use. Some people respond well to videos and to seeing moving pictures and, and somebody's story told like that. Um, there are pieces in here with uh, statistics. Some people respond well to numbers, you know, different learning styles. There's a sheet in here of facts on international hunger and poverty. Um, it has all these statistics. Some people understand it that way. 
Um, there's a, a written story, a counterpart to what you saw, um, Katerina's story in here, The Path Out of Hunger in Guatemala, within this booklet. Basically, yeah, different ways of, of presenting the story, of presenting the information. And you're welcome to take this and adapt it um, to you know, take these, these facts, for example, and put them out on social media, put them on your uh, congregation's website, or put one fact a week out on Facebook. Um, you know, take this apart. Just because it's on this paper in a list form, you don't have to use it that way. Do with this what you want. Um, it's designed to be adapted and, uh, and used however you, can, you want to use it. And basically, this, these, this kit is in two parts. We decided to split it apart this year. This piece, which is inside the, the folder here, but this piece, conducting an offering of letters, is basically your how-to. It's, it's a, a general form, general booklet about how to conduct an offering of letters. And so if you've done this for years and you know how an offering of letters works, take that out and set it aside. You don't need that. Um, but if you haven't done it, this gives you a lot of useful tips about how to, how to bring to people together and, and talk to them about an offering of letters. And the rest of it basically is about the issue which I've been talking about, about foreign assistance and, and food aid. So again, just various uh, ways of presenting the story. There, there are these bullets and inserts which you can um, order uh, from the, uh, the Bread for the World store. Um, you can order a bunch of these in advance and have these inserted into your worship bulletins at your church, for example. Uh, this basically explains the story and people can read that on their own. That's another way of telling the story. Um, and uh, various other things to help promote your, your offering of letters and your letter writing event. Another way you can get in touch with me is this form in the back and, and please, we, this is very important to, to fill this out. After you conduct your offering of letters, please go through this and at least fill out the front side because it, it provides information about how many letters you, you did, um, how many you produced. A lot of offering of letters events take place uh, and those letters are sent directly to your representatives in, in DC, um, but we don't necessarily know about it. So we'd like to know if, if you've done it in your community. Um, and this just helps us know um, who, who was doing what and how many letters were sent to um, Senator Toomey. And so when we have somebody going to visit, we can say, well, we know that 50 letters were sent last week from, um, from St. John's by the gas station church. So um, it's just helpful to know um, who's, who's doing that. So basically, um, yeah, I just encourage you to, to take this and, and adapt it and, and do with it what you um, want. There's, there's a website uh, for the offering of letters and all of this is available on the website as well. So you've got uh, print materials, you've got website materials, you have uh, video materials. Um, you know, it, it's yours to, to, to take and adapt. So I think with that, all right, that's me. Thank you, Stephen. It, um, I have the privilege of working with Stephen and the Jasper. <laughs> 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 
myself in your letters kit, and he's a tremendously talented guy. Uh, it's been great to get to know him, so thanks very much. And I brought him here specifically because I wanted you to have a chance to hear the guy who does the messaging for Bread for the World around this. Um, and uh, let me point out a couple of things. Um, the, the, the website for the Off of Letters is bread.org slash ol. It was up on the previous slide. Um, that is the website that takes you specifically to the OL. You can put that go in there or not as you see fit. Um, the other thing about the Corker Coons bill um, is we're going to be asking for co-sponsors for that bill. And those of you who know how Bread for the World works is you must be dancing in delight that we might actually have a bill with a bill number that we're asking for co-sponsors. It's been a number of years since we actually had that. And that tends to resonate really well in churches and campuses when you've got something really specific legislatively to write about. Now, I want to talk politically with you here for, for a moment, because in eastern Pennsylvania and nearby New Jersey, there are a number of members of Congress who are particularly important on this campaign because they sit on the key committees or subcommittees. Charlie Dent, from up in the Allentown-Bethlehem area at Lehigh Valley, is probably the most important one because he sits on the key subcommittee of the, far, the Foreign Operations Subcommittee of the House Appropriations Committee. Now, that's a lot of words. All that means is that he's in the best position at the earliest time to affect the funding for food aid and any of the kinds of activities that go on in generally in foreign assistance funding. So Charlie Dent is going to be somebody we're really going to want to put pressure on. Um, I've already talked with him about this, uh, and it's an important issue for him, and he's kind of conflicted about it. So we need to stay in touch with him. And Shaka Fatah is also on the Appropriations Committee that doesn't happen to sit on the key subcommittee. He will also have an early word to say about funding on food aid. As, as uh, Stephen said, that's a, one of our key planks this year is keep the funding strong. Now, uh, in northeast Pennsylvania, Tom Marino sits on the Foreign Affairs Committee in the House. He doesn't affect the funding bills, but he affects shaping the policies on these issues. So our friends from up in that area are going to be definitely in touch with Tom Marino. It's Williamsport and, and the Scranton area and things like that. Now, in the, in the Senate side, uh, Bob Casey's on the Agriculture Committee. And now that the Farm Bill is over, he, his mind is totally free uh -huh, to think about uh, things like food aid. We, we had some gratifying uh, improvements in the, in the Farm Bill on food aid this year. But there's more now that a bill is getting introduced in the Senate. We would love to have him co-sponsoring it, because he's one of the experts, one of the people who knows about food aid kinds of issues. And Pat Toomey is on the Budget Committee. And he is someone who has strong opinions about the structure of funding and the budget for the federal government. And so Toomey is important as well. We know from this morning how important it is to keep in touch with him about some of these issues. For our friends who journeyed over from Princeton and other parts of New Jersey, we also have some folks who are important. Uh, I know you remember a Congress from Princeton itself is not up here, but Chris Smith from nearby New Jersey and Albio Sieres from the 8th District are, again, both sit on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, so they shape the policies not so much the funding bills, but the policies for foreign assistance. And Bob Menendez chairs this, that kind of policymaking subcommittee in the Senate. So now, what happens if your member of Congress is not listed up here? You can forget about it. You take a pass on the offering of letters. By no means. It's all the more important for you to be in touch with them, because they're not sitting on the committees where they learn about these issues. You are part of their educational process to show them that you care about these issues, that you want them to, to vote in the correct way or support the right legislation. They need to hear from you, I think, even more than the people on the committees, because they, they need to be educated, and you play a part in that, in that role. Now, I, I want to put this uh, slide up here, because um, there's sometimes some confusion about where, where do I send my letters for my offering of letters. 
And one of the how-to things that I want to underscore this year is the default, the major way we normally do that is ask you to have every person who writes a letter at your campus or in your church to put that in a separate envelope and address it to your member of Congress. Very, very simple addresses. You don't have to put down a room number or anything like that. You just use these addresses, and these are in the Offering of Letters kit, so you don't have to copy it down. But, you know, we want you to send those letters right to your members of Congress, except there, there are exceptions for that when there's really something that's urgent. You know it takes several weeks for your letters to get to Congress because they all have to be irradiated against those nasty things that people put in letters like, uh, you know, like anthrax and ricin and things like that. So it takes weeks to get to Congress. That's a reality. If a vote is coming up in the committee or if there's something on the floor happening in two weeks or a week, you don't have the time for that. So if you have letters, if you, I would suggest this. If you have an offering of letters coming up in your church, contact me. I'm your organizer. Ask me if there's anything urgent happening. Because what I may tell you is, don't send them to Congress. It'll be too late. Send them to our local, send them to Bread for the World in Washington, D.C., and we will take those letters and hand carry them to Capitol Hill the next day. Or possibly take it to your local office if you're a member of Congress and give it to their staff, and then they can send them in in the pouch uh, a few days later. Those are not the normal way you want to do it. Normally, you want to send those letters right to Washington, D.C., because you're getting a relationship with your members of Congress. But in urgent situations, there are exceptions. And use me as a resource on knowing when those urgencies are. OK. Now, I know some of you have questions. You've done offerings of letters, and, you, and you're kind of stymied now, or you're new to the offering of letters. Stephen and I will together uh, lead, the, uh, lead the discussion here of, of answering your questions. We're going to stop talking and answer your questions about the offering of letters. Who has a question? What do you think would be the effectiveness of uh, drawing up petitions that, say, 150 people from St. John's Episcopal would sign and send to a congressman on an issue? Kind of like Episcopal Public Policy Network sends us a petition and we click, but instead they would sign their actual name. OK, I'm going to say something that is maybe contradictory. Part of last year's campaign for Bread for the World involved a presidential petition. When you gather, we have somewhat 40 to 50,000 signatures on the petition to President Obama um, that have already been delivered to the White House. In large numbers, petitions to the president make sense. And that's why we did it, because it was targeted to the president. We've been told by members of Congress and their staff that petitions are almost useless. And I hate to say that, because I'm conflicted as an organizer about that. I want people to get involved at whatever level they can get involved. And if the only way to get your folks involved is to do a petition, I'd say go ahead and do it. But be eyes wide open that if you could get half of those people to write handwritten letters, it would have 10 times more impact. Now, uh, what I would suggest instead of a petition is draft up several versions of a letter and then have people sign their name, address, and write a one sentence uh, thing at the bottom about why, they're, why this interests them. If they can't sit down and write, spend 10 or 15 minutes writing a letter, at least they can do something that feels a little bit more like a letter than a petition does. That's my own feeling about it. And it's, I hate to say that reality. It's, it makes your work harder, but it will have much more impact on the end. You're welcome. Uh, Crystal, I'll bring it back. Um, hi. 
Uh, what would you suggest to college students who have unlimited meal plans, who go to the dining halls and can eat unlimited amount of food, and then tell them that there's a problem in the world, but yet they can simply forget it within 10 minutes of going to the dining hall? So what is the best way to engage students and talk about that there is a problem, because it's not really a problem for them, necessarily. So what's the best way to go about that? I'm going to invite some of our Villanova students to answer that question. Okay, uh, we need to repeat it. Yeah, uh, she's pointing out that you know Villanova students, for example, can go to the dining hall and get unlimited food for their dining plan. And how do you raise awareness about the fact that you know you may forget about hungry people the moment you walk into that dining hall because you have such abundance in front of you? How do you deal with that? I'm going to ask Patrick to respond. Sure. Um, so. Uh, up here, I have Emily Persichetti, uh and I were part of uh, Hunger and Homeless Awareness Week's committee last year. So um, I think what you mentioned is an issue, um, and it's partially, I think, an issue of it's a far away issue for a lot of people. So making that more present is uh, really key. So one thing that we did last year was Emily had the idea to put um, little facts about hunger uh, globally and domestically. Uh, above the cases where food uh, are in the dining hall in Doherty and um, the other one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's one thing that we uh, did last year. I think we're going to continue to expand on that because I think last year they were pretty small notices. Um, but just as a, like a sort of state of mind presence thing, uh, that's one thing. Um, and then I think in terms of, uh, we have a keynote speaker that comes every year, um, and I think what we're looking at doing for next year is bringing someone who has experienced hunger uh, fairly severely. So someone perhaps from Witnesses to Hunger, which is uh, the organization that Barbie is a part of, um, really to just bring home the, the reality that that is uh, a close issue um, that has global and local impact, but um, that really is, relevant because it's five miles down the road. Great. Um, some campuses are able to go collaboratively with their dining hall services and, or, and, and kind of facilitate a, a fast uh, where some of the students uh, don't eat the, the normal meal and, and are consciously and visibly fasting within the context of the dining hall scene and offering people who uh, become aware of that to, uh, you know, write a letter or engage in some way. Um, you know, films and things like that are, are helpful too. But I think also a lot of students are engaged in, in direct service activities which put them in touch uh, with hunger and poverty issues and coming out of that, they are, they are witnesses themselves to the reality that they're experiencing. So I, I really appreciate your, your, your question, Crystal, and, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in the room here that, that could be helpful on that. Can I just add, if, if you fast, put it on your Facebook page that you're doing that. Because oh, tell, tell other people that you're doing it because that's how you'll spread the word. Great. You know, use, use social media, use the other means of, instead of going to, the, to lunch today, write, sit down and write your letter. Okay, I've got a question here. Can I please pass it? This may be straying a little off the subject, but letters to the editor of a newspaper be effective at all? Um, 
I, I am gonna let my, my communications guy respond because he comes from the department that does that. I know from personal experience that they do. Um, because in a number of cases, I've written letters to the editor, either about breadth of the world issues or other issues, and I've actually had people respond to me, <laughs> um, you know, and, and that sort of thing. The thing I like about letters to the editor is you're going beyond your own community that already knows you and spreading the word into thousands of, of other people who, who uh, take the time to, to read those letters. Um, and usually you're constrained by the format and the, and the number of words, so I think it's really helpful to have the con concise way of thinking about and talking about the offering of letters. Um, one of the things I would, I would say from my experience is always mention your members of Congress by name. Um, because then their staff, it, you know, that shows up then in the report they get every single day about where they're mentioned in the press, and suddenly their staff realize, oh, there's a letter here that's talking about something that my member of Congress has to do. And also mention Bread for the World if you can. Anything more? Yeah, and, and in the, basically, you know, we've got all these different ways of, of engaging with this. And, and so again, the first thing we want you to do is, is to write your letter and to, to your member of Congress and get other people to do that. Um, do that first and foremost, and then if you want to do more, do things like um, writing the, the letter to the editor. And, and your best bet in getting your letter published is to key it to a news event. And so if, if you see something covered in, in the newspaper, write your letter that day and say, in today's newspaper, I saw that you were covering homelessness in this county. Um, I experienced this too as a member of St. John's by the Gas Station Church, and we feed X number of people every week. And uh, so, so that's what news people, they're, they're in that mind of, of um, if, if you want to comment, basically you're, you're commenting on something that's, that's relevant rather than just a letter showing up randomly, you're, you're gonna be more likely to get your letter published. And Bread for the World has on its website guidelines for writing to your letter, writing to um, your letter to the editor. And I just want to add, um, as long as we're talking about the media, as we, somebody mentioned um, earlier about getting your member of Congress uh, to come to your, your site wherever you're doing that. But you know, call your local radio station. Um, some of these local smaller uh, radio stations or newspapers, maybe these weekly <coughs> newspapers that are in a neighborhood or something, they like those sort of stories too. And so get, get them involved and, and you know, tell them your church is having a, your offering of letters. Um, and get them to come and sometime during the week to see the food pantry um, open hours and tell them you're pairing that with uh, offering letters on Sunday at worship. It makes a nice, um, well-rounded story for them. And that's just an idea of, of another way to get things in the media. Uh, one more thing on letters to the editor. I, when it's printed either uh, online, sometimes you don't get it in the printed paper, but it's printed, it's, it's published online, or in the printed paper, always copy that and send it to your member of Congress. It's not one more opportunity for you to speak to your member of Congress, noting that you are aware that they, they were mentioned in, in the public setting. Okay. A uh, question I've been asked, and that is, uh, constituents of uh, a member of Congress who cannot vote, how effective is a letter from them, either minors or non-citizens or whatever the case may be? My view, is, certainly as an organizer, is I try to engage everybody in the local church, from the, the youngest children who can draw a picture or write rudimentary words, I try to engage them. 
um, because not only do they say some very poignant things, but also their parents get to realize that their kids are doing something in the, in the political arena, and that can be kind of leverage into the parental group. Um, I also uh, happen to attend a multicultural church in Dayton um, with a number of undocumented Hispanic folks. And um, particularly around this year's offering of letters, I've engaged uh, them in writing letters. We do have Spanish materials as well as English materials. The offering of letters kit is available in Spanish with a bulletin insert and other materials. And um, I think it is important. I mean, some of them, frankly, are nervous about writing letters to elected officials because they never know what's going to land in the INS's lap and things like that. So it, it can be tricky in terms of how much identifying information they give. But I found that they have written really wonderful letters, both in English and Spanish, as a result of this. And I encourage them, even though they're not voters, that they still have a political voice in our country. In the back, I can bring the microphone back a bit. You're getting your exercise. I'm part of St. Thomas Villanova Parish, which is right here on campus, and we've been doing a bread campaign for about the last 10 years. So in looking at this year's bread campaign, I'm anticipating a little bit of feedback, possibly from uh, people who might be saying, well, how about uh, American farmers and the food that they've been producing that has gone over to USAID, and how about American shippers you know, and carrier containers that are taking that food, even though it's getting there three months late? Can you give me some language that we can um, work with our volunteers to respond to that? Even has something to say about <laughs> Right, and basically, the the amount of, of food that, that comes from American farmers that gets shipped overseas is very, very small. And if, if, if we are going to decrease that amount of, of food from the, the United States overall um, that, that, that uh, American farmers are producing, it's really going to make a, a, a negligible difference um, because it's, it's a very small percentage of, of what is exported uh, through USAID. Um, shippers as well, um, I mean, it's it, part of if you look at the overall amount that uh, shippers uh, spend in the, the revenue, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And again, this is a very, very small percentage of uh, of their business that, that is used for that. So um, certainly, you know, those those uh, groups of people do have their lobbies and, and you know, they want to protect their interests. But um, if you really look at the, the amount of revenue and, and the, the amount of business that they do through for USAID, it's, it's really small. So. We have one more question, and this will be the last question. I just wanted to make a comment after doing this for many years about legibility. If you can't read somebody's name and you can't read somebody's address, don't expect to get a response. Mm -hmm. And I know because I look at some of these letters and I can't decipher. So all I'm saying is that we're not used to handwriting a lot anymore. Yeah. Most of us aren't used to. I know I'm not. And I learned how to handwrite years ago. And so I tend to get very sloppy. So if we're going to do anything with our handwriting and our signature, make sure it's readable. That's all I'm saying. Great wisdom in that.